This week on the Sportplugs. This week, we catch up with former Sydney Kings veteran and media personality, Brad Rosen. You heard him on last week's draft show. This week, we'll talk about his career and the NBL offseason. Oh, he was so generous with his time. Lots of great stories and insights. Let's go. Now, I'm not going to lie, Stewie, I'm a bit nervous about this one because introducing the man who is the best in the business at introductions is a bit of a daunting task. But let's give it a try because we're absolutely delighted to be speaking to him today. One of the things I really love about this bloke is that he approaches his journalism with the same enthusiasm, tenacity and passion with which he played his basketball. He's a former Sydney Kings captain and 99-game veteran with championship pedigree too, having been an assistant coach on a couple of Kings titles, as well as coaching different ABA teams to titles in his own right. He's even a successful businessman with Glencoe and, of course, one half of one of the most entertaining Australian podcasts out there, co-starring with the great Body Nodge, a very special sport bloke's welcome to the great Brad Rosen. Geez, you did well. Yeah, no, that's pretty good. Um, <laughs> thank you. It's a lot shorter than the, uh, the guests that we have on my show because uh, I just haven't done as much as that, but well done. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much, Brad. We're absolutely delighted to have you on today. No, nah, it's great, great to be here. It's uh, a bit boring with the off-season, although there's been a lot going on in the last week and uh, obviously with uh, stuff that we'll talk about, but uh, it's great to be um, talking basketball anytime, any day. So what we're going to do today, we'll probably talk a little bit about your career. Not a whole heap, though. A lot of people might have listened to the Throwback Hoops episode 26 that they did with you. Shout out to Robbie and Woody. Indeed. Great episode. A lot of amazing information and insight on your years in, in the league and also, I guess, post-league as well. But yeah, yep. what, we, what we'll do, though, we'll talk a little bit about, I guess, a few of the questions that we had around your, your playing days. And, and we'll sort of work through, I guess, into your, your current roles and, and, uh, and your podcast and all that sort of stuff. So you're a Sydney boy through and through. You were born there. You, you were a floor wiper in the early years for the Kings. You came up through the Sydney Comets. We did hear you mention on the Throwback podcast that there was that opportunity for you to play with the Magic when Brian Gorgian uh, gave you the call and sort of said, come down the road. Well, yeah, come down the road, I guess it is. <laughs> did you have any other opportunities to, to play in any of these other teams or were you a king for life? Was that your decision that you made? Look, it's an interesting question. Uh, I did get a call in my, I think it was my 96 season, uh, halfway during the season. I got a call, and I don't know if it was one of my mates playing a joke on me or not, but they said they were from Townsville, and um, we had, you know, Derek Rucker up there, and, and I think it was back then, and then not sure what you're doing next year. We only know you've got, you know, one-year deal, and keep your eye out, and we'd love to talk to you before you make a decision. So I, I let my agent know that, and sort of nothing obviously really came off with that, but... Yeah, look, I, I, I'll be honest, it was really the magic that was, was the big one. And to be honest with you, getting called by the goat of Gorge was, was awesome. But I don't know, it was just one of those things with Sydney. It, it would have taken a lot to get me out of here because I know, uh, you know, I was Sydney through and through. And it was interesting because you said your, your girlfriend at the time and now wife was from Melbourne. And I, mm. I guess that would, have been, that would have been a very interesting conversation with her having a, a potential chance to go home. But how did that all go? Well, it still is an interesting conversation, you say, <laughs> but... Um, but to answer, uh, to uh, be honest then, she was actually still living in Melbourne when that came up. So, so we did a few years in a state relationship. So basically it was a situation where she wouldn't have had to move if I went down there. And uh, she still to this day can't believe I turned that down. And sometimes I question myself, why did I turn <laughs> that down? Um, but yeah, it was, it, it was a tough decision knowing what the magic was and what I could be. But I guess uh, history is what it is and um, we, we keep going. And it's interesting because obviously then that led to your best years as a King, 97 in particular. Obviously, being in Perth, we're both Wildcats fans and 
we sort of grew up quite a bit that 1995 Wildcats team with Aaron Traher on it and he was yeah, the, the, the start, yeah he was the starting guard there and went down injured and, and you sort of took over as the starting point guard and, and thrived really yeah, it was interesting. As was a great guy. And, you know, 96, we had Shane Hill here and then Shane went to the NBA and they brought in Aaron. And there was a lot of pressure on him and I felt sorry for him. And 95, you know, I remember playing against Perth because I joined late in that season and it, it was great. That Perth team was just phenomenal. And then as it was a great guy, uh, super talented, but you're right, he went down injured and it's the next man up mentality. And, and I just loved it. I just loved the opportunity, got to play and uh, really enjoyed that season, which obviously made you think, geez, I'm, I'm glad I didn't go to Melbourne. Would have I got that opportunity? But you, you can't be like that because it might have even been better if I went down there, but did love my time with the Kings, no question. Now, obviously we're in Perth. I will jump on that comment about the Wildcats. Obviously, at that stage, the streak was significantly less than what it got to in the end. It's now over. How formidable were those Wildcats teams? Is that a bit of a media beat up the streak stuff? Or is that something that you kind of really take heed of as a player and maybe give a little bit extra for those sort of teams? Yeah, it's a good question. For me, I mean, there, there wasn't really a talk of a streak when I was playing, but it was just sort of now in Perth were as tough as hell, you know, like... You talk that era and when you've got Blahov, Fisher, Grace and Crawford, mate, that team's making the playoffs, you know, and then, and then you put in those like Aaron Traher's, Anthony Stewart, Catalini's, you add all these players in there and they were just an unbelievable, I love Todd Lichty as well, love oh, that guy. Yes, so yes. so when, you, when, you, when you talk about those teams, you just knew they were going to make it, make it into there. So I feel it's been very dramatised over the last decade because of the streak and so well deserved to be because Perth, you know, what an amazing job. And it got harder too, don't forget, because it went down from what, it was six or eight or whatever it was down to four. So it makes it harder. But yeah, I, I don't think there was much talk about it then. It was just the fact that it was then the Tigers, the Magic, um, you know, then then you throw in there a little bit of DMAC with uh, North Melbourne, although that moved into the Tigers. And there was just so many damn good teams, basically. But nowadays, yeah, it was all about the streak and uh, it, it had to come to an end one day and and ironically when it has uh you know it's blown up to be uh, huge and and obviously what we've seen over the last week or two it's been massive yeah i think there's going to be ripples on that for quite a while to come uh, i mean it's not been a great off season obviously but and we'll get there we, we will get there i did just want to quickly piggyback off that you know obviously the trip over to perth is probably the it's the biggest one for the east coast teams did you mm, ever get a chance mm. to take part in a doomsday double oh yeah oh yeah um <laughs> Those doomsday double, those doomsday double is terrible. I can't remember if it was. I think we flew to Adelaide first and then to Perth, and that per Adelaide Perth trip is still nearly as long as Sydney Perth because you're into the wing, right? So by the time you fly to Adelaide, I think I mean it's been so long since I did this, but Adelaide to Perth, I think it's still a long flight. Where Sydney to Perth is five hours. So you know we lost to Adelaide one night, and then you got to fly to Perth, and it's an early game because you know you got to get back and oh, it's just. It's a terrible trip, basically. And, and the hard thing is you're playing against some amazing teams. So back in the era that I'm playing with, from memory, and I can't remember all of them, but in Adelaide, you know, you're talking Brett Maher, Rob Rose, even Catalini was there at Sages as well. And this team was phenomenal. Then you go over and it's Blahov and it's Fisher and it's Grace. And it's like, man, this thing just never lets up. But the worst, the worst one I think I ever had was the Magic then Perth. Don't ask me how that happened, but we played the Magic one night and then I think it was Saturday night, then we had Perth Sunday afternoon in Perth. And so, that was just a nightmare. And some people actually kind of underestimate the sneaky time difference, even though it is only two or three hours, depending on if it's winter or summer. 
it's a big deal, isn't it, on your body, especially when you're coming absolutely. east to west. Yeah, absolutely. Just to give it sort of like a, a bit of an idea. So let's just say you play in Melbourne on the Saturday night, games at 7.30, you finish at 9.30. You're not going to bed till midnight, 2 o'clock. Your, your adrenaline's running, right? You're going to have a 7, 8 o'clock flight out of Melbourne. You fly five hours to Perth. By the time you get there, it's lunchtime, but it's 9 a.m., right, or, or 10 a.m. Perth time. So the game's at, you know, probably 6 o'clock, but that's nine o'clock, your body clock after not having any sleep the night before, really. So now you're getting to a game and it's 9 p.m. And mate, Perth have been sitting back waiting for you and you've just played a game 24 hours earlier. And now you've got to come up against one, if not the best team in the league. Mate, it's, it's terrible. It's so hard. Now you go to the next level and half time comes and it's 10.30 p.m. your clock, body. <laughs> um, it's, it's real. And then you've got to go out and face the second half. So... It's really tough. And then a lot of times we may even catch the red eye home because you just need to get back. Otherwise, you miss a whole day and then you've got a game four days later. So, yeah, it's very tough. But I'd also like to say it's tough for Perth too because they've got to do that every other week. So it's not any worse for anyone else. But those doomsday double, which they don't do anymore, is so hard. It's funny you mention that because uh, in the AFL world, Dave Mundy is about to surpass Pav's record for most travelled hours in a plane <laughs> in his mm. career. So it, it does rack up, doesn't it? The thing I love about what Perth is, I think they've taken that and sort of used that as part of their culture. Yeah, yeah, we've got to be, you know, they're on a plane longer, which means they're together, which means they do things to build that culture as a team. And that's something you've got to pay homage to the program of what they've done for so many years. Now, obviously, you've talked about some of the, the great teams and, and we can obviously you know, talk for hours about your, your sort of career, but we'll, we'll sort of talk about a couple of things that weren't really sort of mentioned too thoroughly on the throwback episode. You did obviously talk about, I guess, DMAC being the, the toughest guy that you had to play against and you sort of listed some mm. other guys like Ricky and Derek Rucker and Butch Hayes. Yeah. Obviously, those guys all have that one thing in common that they played in the league for quite a few years. They had that longevity. Were there any other guys that maybe stood out to you? Maybe any sort of like one-year wonder sort of guys that, that maybe stuck out as you know, just impossible to guard or gave you hell when you had the ball? Ah, oh, there is one, and I, I've got to try and remember his name. 96, I think he was, and he was a white point guard that played for the Magic, and he did one year. I don't, was he Barry? Was, he, was it one of the Barry? Americans? Oh, yeah. I can't remember. Scooter. Scooter, Scooter, Scooter Barry. Barry. Scooter Barry. Yeah. Oh, was it him? I can't remember. There was one, and I just remember... His first step was like an engine. It was unbelievable. And he had this where he'd get the ball and the first step was unbelievable. And before you knew it, he's at the free throw line at the other end, hitting a jump shot. Didn't even have to go to the lap. So, so those one hit wonders, some of them were phenomenal. But yeah, you always talk about the longevity ones. I agree with you. But oh man, we had some amazing imports that came through that league. But he's one that really stood out that I thought, God, he's unbelievable. So we talked about the Doomsday Double as well. What were your favourite and maybe least favourite stadiums to play in and why? And I'm going to guess the Snake Pit with those showers. They're very famous, those showers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, my favourite was, without a doubt, the Glass House and Townsville. And actually, I put Townsville before the Glass House. Townsville was my favourite venue to play in. Don't ask me why. I always played well up there. Not that we won up there a, a heap, but I just absolutely loved playing up there. Don't know why. The environment, just the way it was. and it was just one of those things that I really, really enjoyed. Um, the Glass House was always great. Um, one of those teams always loved playing the Tigers at the Tigers. Uh, Illawarra was, was one of those ones where it, it, it felt a little bit like home because I'd played there so many times as a junior. 
So it wasn't as, because, as, you know, the snake pit back then, you played your junior careers when you were coming up through the Comets there. But the ones, the worst ones, not, there's not even a shadow of doubt, that's Adelaide and Perth. Just hated those venues. They were just so tough. That's, that's fair enough. Did you only play at the, the Entertainment Centre in Perth or did you get the Challenge Stadium experience as a player? Only Entertainment Centre, but entertainment. Challenge Stadium uh, as an assistant coach. That's right. Yeah. Oh, okay. No, it's, uh, yeah. I'm not too surprised. And I'm guys, my memory is that bad, but it just popped up. Billy McCaffrey. Oh, Billy McCaffrey, of course. Guy. Yeah, I remember him. Yeah, yeah. So that was the one. He was so tough. Yeah, no, that's fair enough. I must admit the Townsville one kind of jumped out at me because it, it always seemed on TV to be really sort of almost overly well lit. Uh, the music, yeah, bright, the, yeah. The music was great <laughs> as well, though. Like you had, you know, Swamp Thing, the grid sort of always, you know, going off and the crowd always seemed to be jumping. It was, it looked like a great place to play. You know what? I'll tell you what was interesting, which obviously a lot of people wouldn't be aware of, is what I love the fact about Townsville is when you get there, you feel like you're on holiday. Right. So you, you land, it's 30 degrees every day. Right. So you get off, you're in your shorts. And don't forget back then we were playing in winter. Right. And it's not the summer league. So uh, like it is now over summer. So you get off and it's warm, which is really nice. And then they had this stadium that was next to the hotel that we stayed in. It was all one big complex that had a casino in it as well. Right. So basically, you'd come out of your room and you'd walk across and you'd do a shoot around and you'd walk home and, and back to your room and have a shower and then you'd walk across for the game. And it was just like you felt like you were just, you know, like, where's the margaritas? You know what I mean? Like, this thing's great. <laughs> so, so for me, I loved that, that aura. And then you get there and the crowd is nuts. I remember, and I think I said it um, on the last pod that I was on, I was sitting on a bench one time in a timeout and Alan Black's talking to us. I couldn't hear him. And he's like, you know, sitting in the chair in front of us. Like, I could not hear him. The noise was that loud. And you just, you can't help but get your, your juices flowing. But obviously, you get your juices flowing hugely as well if you're playing for that. So that's why Townsville also damn good at home. So it was great fun. I want to jump on something you mentioned there about kind of the shift from, from winter to summer. Now, some of our younger listeners might not really know much about that. But my understanding was kind of the rationale was to not be on on at the same time as the AFL, effectively. Mm. But from mm. memory, on that throwback episode, and it is a little while ago since I listened to it now, but from memory, you said that that was a bad decision and it kind of took a little while to recover. Is that right? And if you could maybe give some insights onto why that turned out to be. Because I think the logic was sound. The AFL was a bit of a behemoth. But it would be interesting historically, I think, to get your views on that. Yeah, I think it's a great question. And for me, I can only go on what it felt like for me. I don't know if it's right or wrong, but I'll also say that my owner of the Sydney Kings then, Mike Robleski, was extremely vocal to not go to summer, right? So he was extremely, this is not going to work. I don't agree with it. And maybe that influenced me as a Kings player because I heard about it so much. But my understanding was that they wanted to go to summer and that there was going to be something to do with Channel 7, I think, or because or, I think Kerry Stokes, if I'm not mistaken, was an owner of Perth then. So I think there was some talk around that. But of course, I'm not privy to any of the information. But I think there was talk around, we can get TV rights, we'll pretty much be the only sport on, because even though cricket's on, that's a different, and we don't have to fight with the AFL and the NRL. But back then, the AFL, in theory, wasn't like it is now, billions of dollars. So it, I don't think there was a lot of talk around that. But I just remember Mike Robleski was like, this is not going to work. You know, no one's going to be wanting to come into Kings games, you know, in that one or two weeks over Christmas when it's not a final. It's, you know, halfway during the season type thing. So this is not going to work. I don't agree with it. And I think we should stay to winter. 
Now, me personally, as a player, I loved the tracksuits. I loved the warm-up tops and I loved all of that when you travel on the road, you know, all of those things. Well, that's all gone now because you're traveling in shorts, right? So, so the whole thing, it, 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 as a player, it really took a lot to get used to it when you were so used to winter. And the biggest one I'll never forget was training on Christmas Day. I just remember in that first training session that you had, you got all, you know, my, my girlfriend then uh, at home, and she's having sleeping until lunchtime because she was out the night before having a ripper of a night, you know, and, <laughs> and we had to be up at training at like nine o'clock in the morning. And I think it was like 8.30 or nine o'clock so we can get the day done so then we can go and, you know, have a little celebration. So, yeah, some really interesting times, hard to get used to it. But now, talk to kids now, they're like, really, you played in winter? I don't remember that. So now people don't know any difference. And this, the alignment with the NBA, I, yeah, I can see the pros and cons both ways, but it's it's interesting. And it did take a little while to recover. Obviously, the TV rights was a bit of an issue too. Well, I think the TV rights was the whole thing, really, when you look at it. Because, I mean, you know, we were struggling for anything and there was no TV rights. And, and then this thing just went like a disaster. And thank God for Larry Kesselman and his team. So true. So there's that small group of people that absolutely saved the NBL and it is, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, we're, we're very thankful to all of them. Well, and we're very aware here. Jack Bender is a big part of that too, as far as the Wildcats. Huge. Yeah. Huge. And, you know, I I, I feel, felt for anyone that had to take over after him because, you know. Big that, shoes that, to fill. <laughs> um, oh, well, I don't think you can fill those shoes. And it's the same as, you know, for Trevor Gleeson. Like you just drive it into a disaster, really. I mean, it, it was such a hard thing to do. And if you don't get it right, there's a crash. And that's what's happened. It's so funny you say crash. It was a, it, it felt like a slow motion car crash for a lot of us over here. Just seeing yeah. it coming from a mile away and it just materializing before our eyes. It was, it was horrible. But, but anyway, it let's... Wasn't look- I mean, look, we'll get to it. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, we yeah. will. <laughs> I did want to just quickly touch on something that you spoke about with the throwback guys, and that was, uh, I guess, firstly, you rubbing it in about winning the title at Challenge Stadium, which I have to applaud you on because uh, I know that I know that Robbie gives Woody a lot of. Yeah, about I can't guys. remember. Was that? Was that? Oh, that's when we beat Perth. Is that what yes. you're saying? That <laughs> yes. Yeah, <laughs> I might, sorry. I might have been. Oh, Chris Williams. Yeah. Oh man. So, so that team, so obviously you've got Chris Williams, you've got Kavossi Franklin, so really, really great import pairing, probably one of the better ones the league's seen. But then if you look at the roster of Aussies you had as well, you know, Shane Hill, Matt Nielsen, Brad Sheridan, Ben Melmoth, David Stiff. Gary, oh, all that size. Gary Budnikov, like, what yeah. a what an amazing roster. Like, it's so <clears throat> obviously being an assistant coach under Gorgian, like, how amazing was that experience with that team and, and being part of that, that roster, I guess? Look, I say this a lot to people and it probably, you know, makes me sound bloody stupid as well, but like, I didn't even feel like I was an assistant. I felt like I was a kid in a candy store. You know what I mean? You know, if you can, you know, you know, that meme where you just sit there and you're chucking popcorn in your mouth, you know, this is going to be awesome. Well, that, that was like me at trainings, you know, like, so Gorge is just the most amazing, inspirational guy you can ever meet, right? You could ever meet. And he just his enthusiasm is second and none. His pre-game speeches are unbelievable. His, his attention to detail. And, and as a player, you just can't not thrive on that. And that's why now, after I spent those years with him as an assistant, what an idiot I was for not playing for him. I'm like, wow, mate, you know, you're an idiot. So for me, just to be around that squad was unbelievable. Now, I will say, was it talented? Oh, my God, yes. But there's been some hell of a talented squads that haven't gone anywhere near and do that, right? So Chris Williams on other teams might have been not so good. But 
The thing about Gorge is he adapted. Chris Williams was unbelievable. I mean, let me sorry, let me phrase that. He'd be good on any team, but what I mean is, is Gorge ran this little offense that was able to get the maximum out of every player. And, you know, Matty Nilsson was a four his whole career. Even Brett Brown played him in the three spot there for a little while. Gorge put him in the five and said, you've got this. So, and then two years later, he was MVP of the league. So, Great, great. Matty Nilsson, one of my best mates, played with him for so many years. Great, great season, great player. Shane was Shane. You know, Shane just hit those unbelievable big shots and, you know, hit a couple of massive shots in that first final game when he was guarding Ricky Grace and vice versa. And that looked like, you know, Perth could have got that win. But it was so much fun. And um, in case you guys weren't aware, uh, we actually won game two at Challenge Stadium. And that's where the Kings won their first championship. Just yeah, really. oh, you, we're all Was that in Perth? Yeah, it was in Perth. I'm not sure of, if you were aware. Yeah, it was a bit of a dodgy foul on a three with Shane Hill, but I, I'm not holding it uh, 20 years later. <laughs> there wasn't, it wasn't you mean the one that David Stiff moved on the screen? Don't know what you're <laughs> yeah. talking about. Oh, and, mate, and, I nearly... <laughs> and, 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 and the shot going up after the, the foul was called. But look, this is a thing... Only three seconds afterwards. Come yeah, on, was... <laughs> <laughs> no, look, honestly, I think after that game one loss, I'm not sure... I know for myself, I can say I honestly didn't believe that we were going to get through game two. And exactly what happened was kind of what I was expecting. That team mm. had all the momentum after that fourth quarter of game one. And that, yeah, steamrolled us in game two. And it was like, it was kind of good. It was good to watch. It's weird saying that as well. Oh, a no. Time. I mean, yeah, yeah. As, as we're older now and a bit more mature, we can appreciate the, the great players and the great teams. It's funny you say that because part of the coaching staff, like, there was never a vision of us winning that game two. It was all about the process. I mean, of course, you, you know, you, you dream about winning game two, but it was never it was never a vision. It was like, this is the process. We're ready. This is what we're going to do. And then we'll look up at the you know the clock at the end and hopefully we've won. So it, it was a phenomenal feeling. The aftermath was unbelievable. And, you know, winning it at that Challenge Stadium was outstanding. So I have to ask, obviously, you've, you've had that experience. You've obviously had a lot of really great success in the ABA as well. Were there aspirations or even opportunities to be a head coach in the NBL for you? Yeah, it's funny. So many people have asked me that. So I was lucky enough because what happened is I, I took over the ABA in 2002 and I won my first championship and then I became Gorge's assistant. One and three, yeah. So I, so I actually ended up winning like five championships, sorry, six championships in a row. Oh, so wow. it was like the most amazing because I won, I won ABA, NBL, ABA, NBL, ABA, and then ABA again, right? So it was really cool. And what I learned was second to none. And it was so much fun. Then, you know, the, the chat comes with Gorge and Gorge is like, what do you, what do you, where do you want to take this, mate? You're an NBL coach. Like, what do you want to do? You do this, you'll, you'll become an NBL coach. And I'm going to be completely honest with you. And the, and the only thing is, financially, I just couldn't do that. Because what you had to do, especially back then, you had to be an assistant coach for so long. And I, I just couldn't afford to do it. Like, you know, you're living in Sydney and what I would have had to give up, a, a family was coming along and, you know, my wife had moved up from Melbourne and it, it was just so financially hard that it was like, I, I can't live. And what, what actually happened is I think it was after my second assistant year with the Kings, I actually got a call. I haven't told this story, actually. I actually um, got a call from the Razorbacks. And they asked me to be assistant coach for the Razorbacks, uh, lead assistant. And, um, and a good mate of mine, Matt Weston, was the assistant. And he was moving on. I think he went to China or did something in there. Matty Weston, great guy. And so they were looking to replace him. And, and they came and spoke to me and said, would you be interested? 
And of course, it was definitely a, a scratch I wanted to itch. And then they said, you know, we need you to do this, this, this. But what then happened as part of being an assistant coach is it came with a heap of other stuff. It came with, we're going to need you to, you know, do everything like book flights, um, you know, do the washing uh, and get, you know, do, get the cars and do this. And then we're going to have to be in and you're going to run the schools program and you've got to do this. And this was, you know, like coaching was sort of like the second thing, if that's the right words, like, yes, we need you, but there's so many things that this role contains. And when, you know, I, I sort of summed it up, I was like, oh, I can't do this. And then you mentioned Glencoe, which is my electrical and air conditioning business and building that I run up here. Um, it was like, you know, what, what do I do? do? Do I do this for a couple of years and see if it takes off anywhere? Or do I grow this business and, and you know, like make a life out of it? And I, I chose that path. And, and, and you know, I think I, I chose the right path for the family. Um, but, you know, as a coach, I, I really do believe that I could have become an, an, a head coach in the NBL. I just don't know if, um, you know, it would have happened. It's really interesting that you say that, actually, because Peter Hawley talked about Darren Ng, who was studying to be a doctor with the Adelaide 36ers, mm. and he had a difficult yeah. decision as well. So it, it is interesting mm. how these these life decisions and I guess these sliding door moments. Just to give you an idea, you know, you, you're talking like like 30 grand, 40 grand to be an assistant coach full time. Wow. Now, yeah. don't yeah. get me wrong, like 30, 40 grand, some people would say, you know, 15 years ago, well, that's okay. No, it's not when you're living in Sydney, in Sydney trying to pay yeah, off exactly. a loan. And you, can't, you just can't afford that. So we're not talking, I don't want people to think, what, you're off of 300 grand? Hell no. You know what I mean? This was like, it, it was, you know, the ninth player's probably earning more. And it, it, was, it was just a decision that, that you couldn't do. You just couldn't do it. You financially couldn't match it. So after your playing and coaching career, you mentioned to the Throwback Boys, you're a bit of an accidental commentator. But since then, you've certainly racked up the hours, like a couple of decades almost, I think. Am I right in recalling that you did some work on the ABC with the late Clinton Grivers? Wow, you have got a good memory. Yeah, it is. Um, so it, it sort of came out of nowhere. And, uh, you know, the one of the things that I was always doing and, and I was interested in getting into media because when I became in the Kings, obviously the Kings attract a lot of media attention, right? And then I became captain of the Kings. So the media attention is huge. So you are talking and dealing with the media a lot. And I always had fun when I did the media. And, and you know, I appreciate what you guys said that, you know, I, I go into my media and my talking the same way I played. And, and, and I'm, I love how you said that because that's how I feel. I just, I play because I love the game. I do the media because I love doing because I love the game. So, so for me, that was, that's exactly how I approach it. And, um, and then you get the call and someone says, do you want to do it? And you go, oh, yeah, I'd love to. And everything, you know, this would be great. I'd love to do that. Yes. But unfortunately, the sport was going backwards. And so the opportunities were just so minimal. So I'd got, you know, a call with the ABC. Then I did a game on Foxtel with Tony Jensen and, and there was another one. I can't remember uh, who was. Oh, John Casey. What am I thinking? Yeah, it was Case. So it was John Casey. So I did one of those games and, you know, I enjoyed that. And then another game would come up here and there. But, but then it sort of wilted off because the league was wiltering off. And then that opportunity, like I said, came up. And now, um, well, I think this is my eighth year since I've been doing it sort of, if you call it, constant but yeah certainly been doing it for over 20 years it's funny you bring up tony jensen because i almost wondered if you were going to mention him with the tough to guard because he was a very zippy quick player wasn't he super tough um the only thing for me is i just didn't have to guard him that much because you know anytime he was on a team uh there was always point guard so whether it be butch hayes or you know d-mac back in his north melbourne days so uh as crazy it sounds like tony man i, I was happy to give him to someone else he was a <laughs> hell of a tough guard he was he kind of flamed out really quickly yeah though, which was it was a weird thing because i think he was on the boomers at one point 
He, yeah, he at went the to end the of the bench. Yeah, yeah. He went to the Olympics, if I'm not mistaken. I think 96. Yeah, yeah, that's what I reckon. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah, no, he was a hell of a player with those Falcons and Giants teams mm. back in the day. But Was I right? Did, so did you do work with Clinton Grimes? I was such a fan of his and I was just devastated when he passed away because he could have been the next Bruce McAvaney or, or Dennis Cometti. Like, he was just brilliant, brilliant. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to say I'm pretty sure I did one game and he was an absolute gentleman, a great guy, but I never got to do any more. So I didn't get to know the guy. And that's, that's the thing I've loved about commentary, you know, like probably one of my best mates is Matty Russell. I've got along with him so well. And, you know, he's, he calls rugby league as well. And then, you know, Andrew Voss, I'm mentioning a lot of these guys, which might not mean as much to you guys because they're rugby league callers and they're big time here over in, in, on the East Coast. Uh, but then you've got your John Casey, who's outstanding. And I've been privileged enough and, and, and Carfino when I started, you know, so I've been privileged enough to work with the absolute best in this league. It's been amazing. Attention NBL fans. Have you heard the other recent episodes with Alex Loughton and Peter Hooley? Check out episode 103, where Alex gives a warts and all appraisal of all NBL teams. Episode 104, where Peter Hooley tells some war stories from college and the pros. And for Wildcat fans and Wildcat haters, check out episode 99, where the boys lament the Wildcats missing the playoffs for the first time in 35 years. So before we ask a couple more NBL off-season questions, a couple of other things quickly. First things first, we wanted to start here because you and Body do such a great job of promoting the women's game as well. How surprised were you about seeing Lauren Jackson named an Opal again at the tender age of 41? How much of this has to do with the Liz Cambridge saga as well? A bit of both, I would say. So, yeah, thank you. We do love pushing the women's sport. We think it's great. Obviously, Body's had a lot to do with that. Uh, from the background he's got but you know we've got some amazing champions and those opals have been unbelievable for years and let's be honest it's been a bit of a crap show the last few and um and what went on with with all of that saga was just terrible to see no no winners no winners and it's just shocking as soon as lauren came back to albury i i think i said it on the show as well mate she's going to be in that opals team as long as she's healthy and she wants to be there you would be the most silliest person not to have her in a team she will bring bums on seats. She will bring the promotion. She will bring the culture back to the team because that's what it needs. It needs a culture. All these girls now will come in and Lauren, the big dog, right? Not who's the next one in line because we've lost the captain. We're not sure if Liz and she's gone. Like who's the next? No, no, no. Lauren comes in. She's the big dog. She will lead this team. I think it is brilliant. I just hope. I just hope that she can get through at that tender age of 40 odd that hasn't had, you know, like a number of years. And, you know, let's be honest, she put her body through heaps. I just hope she can get through a tough tournament because it's not going to be easy. And, and look, she'll be a great mentor to someone like that. I was like, going to say like, the exact same thing. Yeah, Ezzy Magbagor, who is playing some oh, great ball. I'm a massive fan yeah, of her. She's brilliant. Her WNBA season has been brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. No, nah, couldn't agree more. And, uh, like, if, you know, I put myself in a coach's shoes. Lauren, what do you need to get through this tournament? I'll throw the kitchen sink at you. Just tell me how to get it done. Oh, now, Brad, we've got to get there as Wildcats fans. <laughs> as we mentioned... Are we talking re- about Challenge Stadium again? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, there are challenges. There's no doubt about that. So after a ridiculous playoff streak is over, in the space of a week, the team's fired the CEO after 20 years of service. Kosko Mo, the coach, is gone after just one season. Yesterday's West had the following headline, and I quote, it was on the back page, no finals, no CEO, no coach, no idea. I'm going nowhere in relation to Craig Hutchison. 
Yes, the Wildcats got Corey Webster, but what do you make of everything going on over here? There is some vitriol on Twitter. I don't know how much you've seen, but there is a lot of angry Perth fans over here. Some yeah, of that, it irrationally, you know I, I have to say, too. Yeah, you know, you know, when I was sitting down, I was saying, just picture myself with that popcorn in the mouth, you know, like that, that that's not <laughs> me, mate. I'm just watching this thinking, wow, how to crash bang the most polarising franchise in Australian sport, probably history. Let's be honest, come on. What this team has done over 20-something years or whatever it was, 30-whatever playoff spots, and what unbelievable. They would be turning in their grave all the ex-players that are um, you know, no longer around. It must be just shocking. And as soon, I'm going to be honest, as soon as I heard the coach saying before the playoffs, well, if they don't want me, I can go home and sit on the couch. That was it for me. Yeah. I was like, this team is in a dive. You can't, I'm not blaming the coach here because I don't know what's going on behind the scenes. But for a coach to come out and say that, there's some crap going on behind the scenes that we are not aware of, right? Now, I do know some of the players in the Perth squad and they loved him. They loved Scott Morrison. Like, I, I remember saying, you know, like, you know, what's he like? You know, mate, he's awesome. We love him. He's great. So there's something going on where I'm like, wow. And then, you know, the CEO goes and then this guy, like, Man, it's really, really hard to build a good culture. It's 50 times harder to have one and then you lost it. So I do not know what this team is going to do. The only thing that is holding this team by a thread is you've got Bryce Cotton. That's it. Yeah, it helps. It doesn't help. That's it for me. The first thing I thought of when the coach is gone get Damian Martin as assistant or head coach. You need someone in that culture because right now it's going to be very difficult, but it can be done. Mato is always worth his weight in gold. Yeah, I think Trevor Gleason's mm. in Perth at the moment from what I've heard. Oh, he's signed. That, no, would, <laughs> that would be nice. Now, on the flip side, probably the big winner of free agency so far is the Adelaide 36ers. They've signed mm. Defensive Player of the Year, Antonius Cleveland. They've got Robert Franks from Brisbane, who was excellent for most of the season last year. Pretty decent start for CJ Bruton in his second season as coach. Yeah, I was in Melbourne last week. My son was playing in the classics down there and I saw CJ down there and I had a good chat with him. And yeah, he's really pumped. They've done well. They've done some really good off-season signing. I think the only question mark now would be is he's got to get them to gel together. That's, that's the strength of CJ. He, he, he's one of those guys that brings people together. So I'm looking forward to watching them play. Uh, obviously, um, you know, to get the best defensive player is great. I think Daniel Johnson's the key there. They really need to sort of see how they mould him. Is it coming off the bench or whatever it is? You know what you're going to get out of McCarron. So I, I like what they've done. And, and, and I agree with you that they're the pick of the offseason so far. Now, we have a mailbag question from superfan Nick Tan. He asks, why do some teams have their imports locked away before the drafts, like the Jack Jumpers, for example, when others wait quite some time, sometimes quite close to the start of the season? No, that's a really good question. Yeah, it's a good one. So look, you always find certain head coaches, it depends what your Australian content is. That's how I've always seen it. So if you've got your Australian content, you know what you then want as an American, right? So if you use the Sydney Kings as an example this year, right, they knew what they had locked in. They knew they needed a point guard. Right. So that's, you know, they knew that they had that. They had Zave in the floor. They had Jarrell Martin coming back. Uh, you got DJ coming back, you got your players, all right, we need to go and get a point guard. So then you sit down and go, right, 
who's on the board, who we've got. And you go through all these players and you go, look, I don't know if any of those suit. If there's one player that they know they want, then they'll go sign him because they don't want to lose him. But if they're, look, I don't think that guy maybe will put him in the back, then we'll wait for the draft. So that's normally how it will work that way. So for the Jack Jumpers to sign someone now, they obviously really liked him. And, and what they did is they didn't want to lose him to somewhere else and they weren't prepared to wait for the draft and potentially miss out on this player. It's a gamble. It's a big gamble, but that's how, that's how teams will do it. And Shui and I were talking about this last night and we actually speculated that maybe it was the small market thing in Tassie as well. And, and we know that their team got together and started training earlier than most teams last season. And I think mm. it really paid mm. dividends at the back end because, hey, they made the bloody grand final as an expansion team. So, yeah, I think it's a great point, you know, and that's what you want because I, I played in some teams. I mean, I, I know I mentioned you, I had eight imports in a season come through and it's just crap, you know, you, you're so up and down and players playing position. And when you're able to get your imports in early, you, you know, those, especially when teams, you can miss out on a playoffs on one or two losses. That's all it takes now, right? One or two losses. So every game is so important. We don't play 82 games. We play 28 games, right? So you can't afford, you know, 14 and 14 get you in or 16 and 12 get you in. You can't afford to lose one or two because you're waiting on that import. And then he gets in here one week before the season starts. You're like, no, 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 no. Get him in early and get going. And it's so interesting you say that because I was sort of looking back at some of the seasons and I think one of the seasons, it might have been 97 or 98, the Kings actually did miss by, I think it was one loss uh, in, mm. in making the playoffs. Oh, percentage can often make a difference. Yeah. You know? I mean, the Wildcats, yeah. one of the Wildcats' grand final years, they had to win the last game of the season to even make the playoffs. So Yeah, yeah. And look, sometimes it can happen. I still talk about that one. I was at Bryce Cotton's first game. The guy got off. I think you guys were in last spot and you won in Wollongong without him and I remember Jesse Wagstaff went off that game and then this guy named Bryce Cotton came in and had 28 at the Kingdome was like holy god who's this bloke and if I'm not mistaken he went on to win it so it was you know those things can happen but they're a dime a dozen um, and you and you do you, you just got to be ready for every single game absolutely and look thank you to Nick Tan great question we could sit here and talk about the offseason for hours but obviously there's a a lot of things that are still to be written. So what we'll do, we obviously like to end, we say obviously, we like to end all of our episodes with the same question to all of our guests. We want to ask you about your favourite live experience. And it doesn't have to be something you've, you've witnessed. It can be something that you've played in um, or it can be a spectator. It doesn't have to be basketball. So I guess, yeah, we have to ask you, what is your favourite live experience in sport? Well, because my wife and kids might be listening to this, it's the three births of my children. Now I'll tell you the truth, right? So, um, so, so um, I, I've been lucky enough to see a number of live sports, and and I'm and and you've asked me this, so I'm gonna, I was at the Grand Prix this year in Melbourne. Unbelievable! I was at the nine, uh, 2006 Grand Final when the West Coast beat Sydney. Right, Yay. that was unbelievable. Um, that was a few years after we beat Perth at Challenge Stadium, just in case you're yes. wondering where that was. <laughs> right? I'm, I'm a Swans fan, Brad, um, so I feel you. Oh, okay. God bless you. God yeah, bless. That, yeah, that, that, yeah. Um, Mate, that song, Where are the Eagles, it's still playing in my mind from 2006, right? It's, um, it's a horrible um, song. But, Luckily, we got uh, the one the year before, mate. Hey, It's just a shame you right, went that one Oh, unbelievable. Yes, it was good. That was a Barry, what was who? Um, Leo, Leo Barry, Barry yeah. Leo Barry, that's it. Yeah, great yeah. mark. 
Anyway, and so I've been privileged enough to be some amazing games. Uh, I've been to Wimbledon. I've watched that when I was over there one time. But I'd have to say, um, this may shock a lot of people when I say this, I've only ever watched one NBA game in my whole life live. Right? I, I just haven't had the opportunity to go. I've never got to see Michael Jordan live. Haven't got. But the greatest thing I ever got to watch was the Western Conference semifinals when the Lakers played OKC. And for someone who just loved basketball and had never been to an NBA game, I paid way overs for those tickets, but I was like 10 seats from the front, like 10 rows. And there's Kobe. And playing for uh, OKC was Westbrook, Durant, and um, Harden, James right? It was back in... Yeah, the Halcyon days, yeah. Yeah, and that was just phenomenal. The Lakers won. It was game three or whatever it was. And the atmosphere and the aura for someone that had never been to an NBA game Oh, I still think about that, and that was without a doubt the greatest live sport I've watched. If I'm not mistaken, I think that series might have ended on a Pau Gasol tip-in in Oklahoma City, uh, which was, yeah, that was horrible. That sure is a fun <laughs> well, I'd say I'd say two things for that is, one, great memory, and two, you do need to get out more often. I do. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't disagree with you there, Brad. I don't disagree. Oh, Brad, we have had so much fun with this. It has far exceeded my expectations. Thank you so much for your time. You've been so generous. This has just been brilliant. Do you have any plugs? Is there anything you'd like to maybe tell our listeners? No, it's just interesting to hear you say it's far exceeded your expectations. My wife said our marriage hasn't. <laughs> so, um, so that's um, so that's that's good to hear. But now, nah, look, guys, it's I, I, as you can see, I, I could sit here all day and talk about it as well. I love it. I just appreciate you guys asking me. I always feel I'm not worthy for these type of things. But thank you so much for asking me. And uh, so for me, I, I just do it because I love it, mate. I love the sport. Uh, I love the people that are involved. And you know, you two, like you said before, you, you, you know, you do this because you love it. And it's people like you that keep the sport going. So thank you to both of you. I love being involved with it. And, you know, good luck, and uh, I'd love to say go those Wildcats, but hey, go the Kings. Very cool, very cool. And look, obviously, <laughs> for, for all of our listeners, we do implore you to listen to the Brad and Body podcast. It is spectacular listening. Yeah, the Gorge episode was great. I listened to the Billy Mildenhall one recently as well. I've kind of listened to them out of order, but we would absolutely encourage people. You do a great show. Yeah, thanks, guys. We do love it. We try and bring back some old boys. Where are they now? And, and we've got some really good ones coming up as well. And our 100th show is not far away. So we're looking forward to it. Oh, there you go. There's the hot tip. Intrigue. Thanks again, Brad. You're a bloody champion. And, and, and we cannot thank you enough. Good on you guys. And honestly, from my heart, I hope everything does go well with the Wildcats. Everyone, the league needs the Wildcats firing. Good luck. All right, sure, you know what that music means. Final thoughts time. Well, what a fascinating talk with one of the nicest guys in the NBL. And to steal one of your lines, Nathan, he was super generous with his time. We, <laughs> he was. We could not have asked for more. Absolutely not. And look, it's always great on top of that to hear a couple of stories that haven't previously come out before. Yes, couple of sport bloke exclusives. That yeah, was fun, wasn't it? Not yeah. too bad at all. Yeah, no. Oh, just fantastic. Gave us some really great draft insights on last week's episode. And, and this episode was, was just as great. Obviously, we would have loved to have talked a little bit more about the off-season, but we ran out of time. But hopefully, we'll have them again one time. Until next time, I'm Nate. And I'm Stu. We are the Sport Blokes.